Welcome to the Podcast Potables Network. You are listening to Process Potables, brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five-star rating, and a review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter and on Untapped at Process Potables, and on Instagram at Podcast Potables Network. Check out our other shows, Pucks and Potables, our Flyers and Hockey Podcast, Power Bombs and Potables recapping the week in professional wrestling. This past Monday, they put out an episode recapping SummerSlam and Saturday night's NXT and AEW cards. And WWE is back again this same week with another pay-per-view on Sunday, Payback. So that will be recapped as well. That's a whole thing in itself. So if you don't have time to watch all that crap, because I sure as hell don't, then have Corey give you the rundown in just about an hour so that you can be completely caught up without wasting away your entire lovely weekend. And lastly, Popcorn and Potables, our movie podcast. Check them out as well. For news, blog posts, info on breweries we've worked with, and much, much more, check out www.processpotables.com. Want to shout out our contributors, Carson Fowler and my co-host Steve Jones, who have been doing a tremendous job keeping up the blog. We have posted a ton of articles in the last two to three weeks. A lot of great reads on there, whether they be grades for players after the games or actual content pieces. Make sure to check that out. Very proud of the work that we've been putting in there. On with the show. Process Potables is on tap. Cheers, everybody. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 69 of Process Potables. This episode is titled Nice, which stands for Now I Can Eat My Feelings Because Brett Got Fired. My name is Dan, joined by Steve, as usual, and we have a very special guest with us today to help us figure out exactly where we are with our disappointing franchise, the Philadelphia 76ers, after a first-round sweep to the Boston Celtics, we are joined from Last Out Media, Rob Manoff. You can find him on Twitter, at ManoffRM. Rob, thanks for joining the show. Appreciate you coming on. What's up? Steve, before we get into it, and we have a lot to get into, you know, give give me 30 seconds to a minute and just, you know, what are you feeling? You know, an airing of grievances, we basically put our mental health forward for the maybe the first time in, in our collective lives of uh you know 26 years of friendship now where you know immediately seeing this team in this playoff series I think we both knew I think we knew going into it but definitely even after just game one I think we had a, had a feeling that this wasn't going to be something that we needed to subject ourselves to and you know we did our due diligence in making sure we we knew what happened and we're going to be able to talk about it tonight but at the same time I think we did not invest ourselves in the same way that we did, especially last year and to some degree the year before that. When we had high aspirations for this team, I I think we were at least a little bit prepared and protecting ourselves from the letdown. That said, speaking for myself, still hurts, but I do think that there was some benefit to kind of putting that shield up. Give me, 
you know, what, what you're going through now, two days removed from what I'm sure you were already prepared for being a sweep in that series. Well, I'm going to come out and say it. Not all 69s are nice. No. This episode certainly is not. But we're going to try. And listen, I've had a lot of bad 69s. Oh, boy. But Brett Brown getting fired I don't was know definitely if that's a the flex worst or not. <laughs> yeah. Listen, you know. It's confusing. Gosh, 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 somewhere. But anyway, yeah, it was just. It was heartbreaking. I mean, we all saw it coming, just really disappointing. And the thing I think where it just doesn't sit well for a lot of us fans is that he just didn't really get a fair chance with the the, the team turnover. And, you know, it seemed like in the past two to three years, the team just kept changing and just like his leash kept getting shorter and shorter. And it just that really happened his entire time here with the huge roster turnover in the first three years of the process. And he never really got one team, one unit just for a couple years, just to see where they can go. And it's just, it really sucks, man. And, and Brett's a great guy. And he's, absolutely you, you love seeing him in press conferences or one thing that for some reason always stuck out was in the uh, last off season. He was like on the, uh, you know, the treadmill working out. Oh, like when Matisse, Matisse came, came in? He's like, he's like, you're good people. You defend. And just, like, those little clips and glimpses of Brett Bryan, like, damn. like They're that, priceless, man. Yeah, they're, they're priceless. We're, like, we're going to get to Brett, though, so don't don't burn yourself out here because I want to make sure that you've got something left in the tank for, for talking about Brett specifically. So, so with that, I guess we'll jump right into this week's Quick Sips. So as you probably already know, yesterday, Monday evening, Brett Brown was relieved as the head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. He has two years and $10 million left on his deal. He finished with a record of 221 and 334 in seven years with three playoff appearances, two second round exits and a first round sweep. He was 12 and 14 in the playoffs. He has the second most games coached in franchise history behind Billy Cunningham. 76ers managing partner Josh Harris released a statement after the news broke, quote, We are really disappointed and know we let our fans down. It's unacceptable and it's important that we all hold ourselves accountable. We're going to be doing a real assessment of how we got here and expect that more changes will need to be made in order to get this organization back on track. This will be a crucial offseason for us and we need to get it right. I want to thank Brett for not only what he did as our head coach, but for the impactful community work he and his family did across the greater Philadelphia area over the last seven years. He is a high-character coach and leader, and we're fortunate to have had him here. This is a difficult decision, but one we believe is necessary. I wish Brett and his family well. Sounds like they wrote that one up uh, months ago. I feel fairly <laughs> safe in speaking for everybody here, which I will really do, and saying, Josh Harris, eat shit. Sell the yeah, team. Sell the team. Please. Um, Please. Again, you know, we'll, we'll get to it, but clearly Brett getting the scapegoat treatment here, and uh, I have a bad feeling that that's about as much as you're getting from Josh Harris's uh, the firing of Brett Brown, but we will see. Brett Brown was able to release a statement after being notified of his release. He said, quote, In 2013, I was employed to lead one of the most dramatic rebuilds in professional sports history. In the past seven years, our players and coaches have evolved and grown, and I have deep appreciation for... For the 102 players I have coached. Holy shit. That's it? 
It seems it like a lot more. Fair, it was I guess. For three seasons. But still, man, seven years, <laughs> yeah, 102 like players. You can only put 15 guys on, on, on a roster in theory. Yeah. So if you had a different 15 every year, that's only 105. Yeah. That's basically saying every year he had 15 different people. Yep. That's insane. Anyway, back to the quote. I am grateful for my coaching staffs and their dedication to our common goal. While also proud to see three of my former assistants now deservedly NBA head coaches and one a major college head coach. I would also like to thank the ownership group led by Josh Harris and David Blitzer, former general manager Sam Hankey, the 76ers historic alumni, our passionate fans, and finally current GM Elton Brand, who I coached and worked for. He is a high character talent that the 76ers are fortunate to have. I sincerely wish him, the players, and the next coaching staff my very best and their pursuit of an NBA championship. Thank you, Philadelphia. Respectfully, Brett Brown. My biggest takeaway, besides him throwing the shade of the 102 players he coached, which is absolutely fantastic, and almost seems like a nod to Sam Hankey, who I was also glad to see him make sure he threw in here, isn't the fact that there's a bunch of people he didn't name, which I know a lot of people were talking about and I'm and I appreciate it and I respect him for doing it you know th- they say that you know it it's almost more important who you don't thank and mention than it is who yeah. you do but I, I think that the words about Elton are actually sincere and I think that's one of the more criminal parts about this is I think Brett and Elton really did have a good relationship and I believe that if it was up to Elton, Brett wouldn't be leaving, and that's an indicator of several things, one being the biggest issue where nobody has any idea who's in charge here, and Elton is a general manager who doesn't really have that much power. Now, we'll get to some comments from him and the front office and how that may be changing now, but at least as to what has transpired to this point, and even up to the decision to fire Brett, I truly believe that Elton has not had nearly the power or the say that a GM normally would or should. And there's there's levels to that because I kind of get it. He's very new to all this. I mean, he was playing in the NBA as recent as four years ago. Yeah. I think was that last year with Brett. I think it was the year before we made the playoffs. He was on the end of the bench. But it speaks to this front office and the mess that was the summer that they had to replace him, where Brett was actually in charge of a lot of things for a while, and they didn't hire Brand till after the draft. And you hire somebody that has only spent like two years being a GM in the G League to already run a, a, a job of this profile, of this caliber. And there's there's so many things wrong with all that. And I'm not sure that I have the credit or the quote from brand for this one. But I know that there was a quote from him saying basically like when I got here, I didn't really know that much. And now I know what to do. And it's like, if he didn't (laughs) know that much, why the fuck did he get the job, man? Like it's crazy. Yeah. I, I, I don't get it, but Ellen just had to been in a real awkward position here from basically playing for Brett Brown, although he didn't really play out all that last year from my recollection, to, you know, becoming the GM of the Blue Coats and then kind of working his way up. And then I guess, in a sense, worked under Brett when Brett took over that summer after Calandro left to then him being a GM. Like, 
Ellen Brand has a lot to, uh, you know, thank and contribute to uh, Brett Brown there. But I think Ellen knew that, like, whether it was him or the whole collective group, regardless, Ellen Brand is the face of the front office. He's the guy you always see, and he's the guy that's uh, available to the media for the most part and everything. So. Well, not here. Well, not here. <laughs> well, up until now, so. Um, but, yeah, I think – Brand, you know, as hard of a decision as it was for him because there's a lot of personal ties and relationship there, just knew that, well, if I don't get rid of this guy, then I'm the next one, and, you know, that could happen regardless. And and Rob made a great point about that. The, the one thing you bring up being available for the media, the, another huge thing here is we didn't hear from Josh Harris. How do, you, how do you do all these things and you don't make yourself available for media availability? That That's criminal as well. I don't think you're going to hear from him. Well, no, you would have today, so you're definitely yes. not. Maybe he just has all his time wrapped up in trying to buy the Mets or some shit. I don't know. But, be, um, Rob, you made a great point about Elton Brand and some of the stuff going forward, which I have quotes to get to as well about that. But before we get to that, what are, what are your thoughts in general on the uh, you know resignation of Brett Brown? So, I love Brett. Um, I love talking to him. Also, this season – Watching him throughout the season, I'm actually kind of happy for him. Sounds pretty crazy, but you could see him going through this stress, like right where he is just at. And I think Ben Simmons being hurt was the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. So um, he'll he'll be fine. Obviously, he's going to get an assistant job or head coaching job, if not here, Australia. They love him down there. So um, I think I don't I don't think it's any question that another franchise is going to bring him in. I think he will, without a doubt. You look at the way his his assistant coaching tree has gone, and if you've been if you've been going after those guys so aggressively, like a lot of franchises have, and a lot of those guys have had success, especially in Phoenix and Atlanta, to this point, that I I can't see some franchises not taking a shot on him. And, and the one that I was talking to uh, Garbage in the Gold's Brandon after about today was the New Orleans Pelicans, and I I even put out there in a tweet that you know if he goes to New Orleans. Like, I'm going to be conflicted because that team's going to be fun, and I'm going to root for the hell out of Brett, and, like, I may really, you know, be be pretty heavily uh, involved in, in New Orleans Pelicans fandom and watching those games because, I mean, I, I think he could coach the hell out of that team. Again, you know, taking a team full of young players, but this time a lot more balance on the roster and a lot of, you know, veterans who can still contribute as well. I think that might be a great fit for him. There is part of me, though. I remember uh, two or three years ago, someone on ESPN wrote a really long piece on Brett Brown, just kind of from, you know, his whole life story, where he came from, and his time in Australia. And he said uh, something to the team at one point that said, hey, man, like, I'm going to enjoy it while it lasts because after this, like, this might be it for me. I just might go retire to the beach and surf. And what he's getting five million dollars a year for the next two years. So, I, if I were Brett Brown, I would take the next year off because I'm sure the last seven years took a whole hell of a lot off his life. See, I, if you plan but, to keep coaching, I don't think the year off does you very good. I think you got to go get it now. If you want to be done, be done. I'm sure he would be fine. He could still coach Australia. He could still probably find you know gigs in other places that aren't as involved but i i don't like the year off and trying to come back to be a head coach if that's your ambition i think you got to roll with it i mean you know go to new orleans for 3 years make a little more money and then call it like and then take all the time don't 
take the year off, remove yourself from the game, and try and get back on this kind of structure and regimen. Yeah. That seems One, pretty difficult. And I'd to love make. to take another trip to New Orleans and see Brett oh, Brown. Oh, hell so, yeah. I mean, know. I'll go to New Orleans either way, but that's well, another One thing. thing about these coaches, too, like NBA coaching is – 18 hours a day, seven days a week, 11 yep. months a year. Like, this is his life. This is his family. And I think there's a mental, a mental aspect, too, of him being a – I don't want to say he's a failure, but you've you got to see him come out of Philadelphia and think, man, I could have done so much better. For sure. Or something could have happened there's better. Definitely like, shortcomings. He still wants to prove himself, so I, I don't think he's taking I, I agree with that, too. I definitely think he's going to have a chip on his shoulder from this. I think that he's definitely going to be looking to go to a franchise that has organizational structure and you know doesn't try and fit square pegs in round holes. So there's definitely something to be said for that. Before we move on to the front office, I want to ask you each this question, and this is more about Brett Brown. But this is something that, that I've wondered for a while, and I've talked about a lot, and I feel like most people brush this off, and may, maybe I'm alone, but I, I have always thought that this was going to be a bigger deal than I think most people talk, and Rob, we can start with you. What are your thoughts, you know, from from whatever you can gather, any speculation that you have, and this is mostly speculation, on specifically how Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are going to react to this? Do you think that either of them, you know, maybe didn't have the best relationship with Brett and might welcome a new voice, or do you think that either of them, you know, had a relationship with him that you think may be conflicting with Whoever comes in next, depending on who that is. So I think Ben will be fine. Um, they said Ben had a great relationship with him going back to Australia. But Ben comes off to me, you know, especially being a person that's around LeBron that understands the business side of it. Um, Joel, maybe a little more where I question because you could see what happened to Joel when they traded Jimmy Butler. And if you look at the team and the you know, progress throughout the years, all his friends are gone. JJ's gone, TJ's gone, Jimmy's gone. And, you know, it was him and Brett left from the process. So, I, I don't know. Joel is, is more of a wear, wear my heart on my sleeve kind of thing. Yeah, and I, I really agree a lot with what you just said, Rob. Joel's the one you're going to really have to worry about. And, and uh, who they decide to replace uh, Brett Brown with, they're going to have to try and find a coach that where his communication skills or his ability to build relationships with players are going to come into play. Because as much as I love Joel Embiid, he's very emotional, at times too emotional. Um, and like you said, you know, quote unquote, all of his friends are gone. And even when Hinky left, like he was just like kind of like, what the hell, man? Like. Inky was his guy that brought him in, and Brett Brown was a part of that. So it's just like everyone who he first played with to, you know, the the entire organization is completely different now than it was when Joel Embiid was drafted by the Sixers. So Embiid is at a crossroads where he's going to have to decide, okay, like this sucks, but it is what it is. I'm going to just have to, you know, adapt to a new coach and go with it or not do that. So, But I agree with Simmons. I'm not worried about yeah, I I had thought that Ben and Brett had a pretty good relationship, and I still don't question that, but I think that the Brett resignation speaks a lot more to Ben needing a different voice than it does Joel. So I think that, if anything, I expect a coaching change to benefit Ben more than I expected to benefit Joel. Ideally, obviously, you're hoping it benefits both, but... I think that, you know, they're they're going to make sure that whoever comes in is going to be somebody that 
has a plan or, or plans to, you know, force Ben to develop into the player he should have become by now. As, you know, we've talked about extensively that, you know, in his time in the league, he really hasn't developed any further. He's still a great player, but you would hope that by this point he would have taken a, a bigger next step, and we haven't seen it. Yeah, and, and to your point, too, Ben Simmons, you know, he uh, one year at LSU, and he went to LSU over Duke and all these other colleges because the coach there played or coached with his dad, and it just seemed like everywhere he's been before coming to the Sixers, there's a connection or someone he knows, and for the first time in his career, he's really not without – you know, anyone. So right. he, which I think is a good thing. Like just, you know, sometimes the unknown and a new challenge and just, well, yeah, not, and, on your you own know, it's going to be a good thing. To Rob's him. point, I I think Rob's point was great in the fact that he, he understands the business part with his relationship with LeBron and everything. And that's the thing is I don't think he's nearly as sentimental as a guy like Joel. And you guys brought up a, a ton of great points on Embiid, whether it be all his friends gone, whether it be Hanky, now Brett. I always looked back to the, the story about when his brother died and Brett and Sam spent the entire night in Embiid's, you know, apartment or condo or whatever with him. Cause he was just an absolute mess. And, you know, I, I know that's not like the most unique story ever. I'm sure when star players go through those things, there are, there are front office people that are accommodating and stuff like that. But it just felt like because of his whole story to get here, because he was basically alone over here with all of his family still in Cameroon, and everything that 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 was a much bigger deal, and like we said, you know, Rob said, and Bede wears his heart on his sleeve. I think that that was a bigger deal for him and to him than it would be with the average player or person. And now, yeah. both of those figureheads are gone, and in a way, for a guy who even at twenty six is pretty immature, I think most people would all agree. It still seems at this point. Uh, you know, I think that both of them were kind of like you know temporary father type figures for him here. Uh, in lieu of his family being here, and now he's without those, and I'm wondering how he's going to react. Hopefully, obviously, we want the best for him, and we want him to succeed, but it'll remain to be seen how a coach comes in and works that out. One thing I've I've heard or read about Joel, um, too, is on camera, Joel is one person, and he'll say it. Off camera, he just plays video games. Yep. He's not a – apparently, he's not a person that, you know, meets somebody and becomes best friends with him. That's why the whole Jimmy Butler thing, how quickly he became friends with him in the playoffs, was a, was a big deal because apparently he's not one of those person, people that put himself out there. Well, yeah, we all know Jimmy's the aggressor in almost every situation, and I'm sure that's the type of person that not even necessarily Embiid flocks to, to your point. I don't necessarily think he naturally flocks to anybody. I think it takes somebody you know, pulling him in under their wing and yeah. almost forcing him along which obviously Jimmy Butler did and wouldn't be a surprise to anybody. So that absolutely makes sense, and that's a great point. Regarding Elton Brand in the front office, Adrian Wojnarowski was on Get Up this morning. He said, quote, You're going to see more changes. Elton Brand is safe. He is going to have the opportunity with senior leadership to make some more changes in the front office. And regarding the coaching search, Woj reported that the search will start with Ty Lue. Elton Brand addressed the media today. He had several quotes, a few that stood out to me. One in regards to basically what happened this season and kind of over the you know, the course of his tenure so far. Quote, we failed and it's not acceptable. I hold myself accountable to get this right, and I will. It's a difficult day for this organization. We had high expectations and goals, and simply put, we failed. I'll also be conducting an evaluation of the front office and infrastructure in place 
Change can and will be uncomfortable, but it's necessary. Brand was asked whether Scott O'Neill will be involved in the coaching search, and he said, quote, To be clear and frank, we feel the collaboration days didn't work too well. I will be leading this search. So we already talked about Elton a little bit, but mostly just in regards to Brett. So when you now hear that Brand sounds like he's going to be the figurehead, it sounds like he's going to be given a lot more control and authority than he likely had before, and that at least they are saying that this whole shadow front office, every you know, we don't really identify who's in charge of what has already been identified as a failure, which pretty much everybody knew was going to happen from the start, and nobody believed that that was a good idea, that they are at least saying that they will not be doing that as much, but we still don't really have much concrete evidence of anything other than Elton saying he has more power. So does this give you any confidence in the front office? I know there's been a big push online from Sixers fans that basically, you know, they, the whole entire front office needs to be wiped out. And I definitely agree with that. You know, you guys can chime in on whether you do or not as well. But, you know, is that something that you think needs to happen, will happen? And do any of these quotes give you any confidence that there may be at least a better infrastructure in place for this organization to possibly figure out uh, how to write this ship the best they can, which we know is going to be quite the challenge based on the deals they've given, the cap situations, the COVID situation, uh, ev- everything and anything under the sun at this point. So accountability being a key word here, right? That's the one word I feel like I kept seeing on Twitter and all these articles I read and press conference quotes. I do give Brand credit for coming out and saying, basically, you know, I'm the guy now I'm in charge. The whole collaboration stuff from last year did not work. Scott O'Neill's not going to be part of the head coaching search. You know, he said what, you know, what we felt should have happened last year where this person is in this role and this is how our front office is constructed. Now, do I have confidence that this will result in success? No, I don't. I agree that. From the top down, and I mean the top, not just, you know, you know, the president of basketball operation. I'm talking about the ownership, you know, the front, like they need a clean house. And as much as I liked Ellen Brand as a player, it's just he hasn't proved it to me as a front office personnel. And just in a really, really, really critical offseason, this looking back, you know, 10, 20 years from now, this might be the most criti- critical offseason where it's going to define whether – this team wins a title or not. And I just feel like brand being one year kind of on a job to lead that charge. I don't feel confident in that. So I like brand. Um, one of the big problems is you don't know who did what over the past year and a half. Right. So for me, it's hopeful to know, Hey, we have a clear direction now. It's not, I'm, I'm guessing the BC leftovers are going to be gone. Um, and but ultimately, can he fix it? Him two years ago, maybe. Now he, from what I took out of it today, was ownership is setting Brand up to be the fall guy mm-hmm. if he fails. Because um, now they're they're stepping back and they're saying, "Oh, Brand, do whatever you want." And when it fails in two years, and Joel requests a trade, or they have to move on from Joel. It's going to be Brand's fault, not ownership's fault. Yeah, I. I but at this point, I'm sorry about it. No, uh, I was just going to say I couldn't at, agree with you more. At this point, uh, dude, the hole they're in right now, 
I, I don't I don't know if uh, the guy from Toronto can get him out of it, like Missouri yeah. or whatever. Missouri. Yeah, well, I don't know if anyone can fix well, this. So mess. here's the thing. So obviously you have to put, you know, can he be successful having more control? It has to be relevant to when he has that kind of power. Now, I think that whether you, you know, whether he had full control over things or not, he absolutely had the control of making the Tobias and the Al Horford signings. He absolutely had the power to make the Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris trades. So those things are all on him regardless of now being given more control. But as far as like front office cleaning out and organizational structure, you know, I think you have to separate success in that department from separation and turning the roster construction over because that's different. If he didn't have anything he could do about that before, then he can't be blamed for issues there prior to being able to handle them. So obviously, as far as roster construction, we already know what he's done, and he's going to have to figure that out. And if you want to blame him for that, now if you want to blame him for that going forward, then absolutely. That has nothing to do with this. But at least as far as the front office, I don't think that you can address any issue they've had to this point on him, but now going forward, you can. So I think this is kind of what we've all been saying, but trying to figure out the way to say it is... I believe that he can at least put a structure in place that people aren't going to be miserable about and that will identify who's in charge of what to some degree, and they can still call it collaborative. I mean, every front office is collaborative. That's how it works. But people have identified roles, and then they collaborate you know, via what their responsibilities are and what their areas of expertise are and whatnot. But... Can he fix the roster construction? I mean, hell no. There's no way. I mean, I people keep throwing trade scenarios out there, and you know, m- maybe we'll get to that. Maybe we won't. I think we might save that. Hashtag for, stop trade machine screenshots on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think we might save that for another episode because that's probably a whole episode <laughs> or two in itself. But I just think that you know, this might be a little bit of being a, a homer for Elton Brand because I, I am a fan of him and have been rooting for him and. I try to do that without the blinders on, though. And again, can identify that his his roster moves to this point. I mean, everyone wanted to suck his dick when he made the trades. Like, I don't, I didn't hate either of those trades, and that season was fun. And I think you have to give him as much credit for that as you have to give him shit for signing Al Horford. Uh, so I just think people need to one remember that that you were all happy about having Jimmy did, and Tobias. Did Jimmy here Butler guess? But the Tobias. Trade definitely had a lot of, you know, not overwhelming. Well, at the time, it looked like he paid a lot. But when you look at what it ended up being, yeah. it's not that bad. Because Shaman ain't doing nothing. That Miami pick, I mean, dude, I was beating that I was beating that point to death when we Back started then, this podcast. Yeah, that that pick was not going to hold the value people thought it would. And I was right. And they got the most out of that pick, I think they could have, because keeping that pick would not have benefited them in any way more than Tobias Harris has, whether you hate him or love him. And we I lost Mike Muscala. Yeah. Said no one. So I just think all these things ha- have to be relative to you know what's been in place and what roles have been at the time. So I, I just think people need to kind of remember that Elton Brand did a lot of good very quickly to pull off those deals in your first year as GM coming from only two years of G league GM experience, I think speaks to his player relationships, his respect around the league, both from player and now being in a front office. And the fact that he is not just like, he's going to make moves to try and win. 
And even the Horford and Tobias contracts, looking as bad as they kind of do right now, were, were still indicators of him trying to win. I mean, the Horford move was dumb as shit looking back, but, you know, we tried to talk ourselves into it. We were happy they were spending. We were happy they took talent away from an in-division rival. You know, j- just try and keep those things in mind that, you know, it, it wasn't that obvious all the time that some of the things he was doing were that bad at the time, and obviously hindsight being 2020. One one thing I, I like about Elton, and um, this is just purely off of, like, his interaction with, you know, the media and stuff, is he seems, he comes off very smart. He's well-respected around the league, and he looks like he... He's, he's, he's got this humble slash, you know, honest um, honesty about him, which maybe coming from Brian Colangelo to Elton is oh, yeah, one of the reasons I really like it more <laughs> oh, than yeah. normal. I mean, anybody would but. look that way compared to him, but Elton is definitely an extreme of that. And this gets thrown around so much. And oh, I know, the Chevy? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, you might slap me, and I, I deserve it. But legitimately, and especially for a guy who had the success he did in his career, made the money he did, he seems very blue collar, very humble. Like he, like he does not need this job at all. No, he, he no. could walk the fuck away and never give a damn about any of this again. Like he's doing this because he loves it. Like you know, a lot of these guys already have money, so it is what it is. But legitimately, I believe that he's like a basketball lifer. That you know, he didn't want to coach. He wanted to get in the front office, and that he wants to win there. And, like, that I believe. And does that mean, you know, he'll do it? Does that mean he'll be successful? Does that mean he'll be here for a very long time? No. But, you know, uh, compared to, again, compared to Brian Colangelo, obviously anybody would look like a saint, but I think he really is legitimately, you know, as good as we're saying as far as his intent and his desire and and his drive for And I think when we look at this ownership group and even the front office as a bunch of scumbags and, and people that don't actually care about winning and just want to make money, I, I do at least give this organization credit for bringing in a GM that seems to be the exact opposite of that entire agenda. And I and I think that he's here to kind of be the contrarian to that group and actually have the interest of the team in mind. Whether he executes it well or not is another story. But yeah, he is definitely the only uh, non-trust fund baby in that front office. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he definitely got a trust fund, but he oh, earned yeah. it. He earned but it. he earned it. He earned so. it, and he, 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 he it. he's still working. So a couple more quotes, and then we'll move on to, to more open discussion about a couple things. This is everything I have as far as anything regarding the players. So yesterday, Woj reported, uh, as far as the Sixers with Embiid and Simmons, that the chances of breaking Embiid and Simmons up are, quote, fairly remote stating, quote, I think you'll see them continue to try and build around Simmons and Embiid. Elton Brand in his press conference today talked about the same idea and said, quote, I am not looking to trade Ben or Joel. You try to make that fit as long as you can. I'm looking to compliment them better. What a concept. Wow. Think about trying to Hmm. compliment your two fucking best players. I'll give you a start. Don't have Al Horford on the team. Yeah. (laughs) Elton Brand on off-season roster changes. Having four second-round picks and a first-round pick gives me a lot of optionality, which we know is a Sam Hankey word. In other words, expect the Sixers to be dangling some of those picks as trade sweeteners. If they sell a second-round pick, I'm going to cut my head off and mail it to Josh <laughs> Harris. I Trade them all. I don't care if you draft them or not because I understand that you know a bunch of second-round picks are not going to be pieces that contribute right away and you're trying to win 
you know, next two years, basically. But don't fucking sell them. For the love of God, don't sell them. Use them to get Horford out of here. Use them to get Buddy healed here. Use them to get us a real point guard or at least a backup point guard. You know, whatever you have to do. And then Ben Simmons tweeted on Sunday, watching my team get swept hurt, and I don't ever want to feel that way again. He is not somebody that really ever goes on social media except to do advertisements or talk about gaming. So to see him actually send a message like that really struck a chord with me. Uh, We've talked a lot about how Ben kind of is with his personality already. So I think you can get, you know, how significant I I think that is. And I think we all would agree that that is based on what we all already spoke to about how Ben is. And then lastly, the thing that kind of concerned me the most, but I think ultimately it's just one of those Things where you're emotional and you're looking for some attention. And B posted a photo of him on Instagram. It's basically him alone on the court. And it said, tough ending, onto a better future. Before we take a break, do you guys have any thoughts on Elton Brand talking about his optionality with the draft picks, about trying to compliment Embiid or Simmons, or about either the Ben or Embiid posts basically about the, the way their season ended? Well, actually, I wanted to add to that, too. Did you see the uh, John, Jonathan Simmons tweet that has since been deleted? Oh, God. <laughs> I, I saw a lot of people replying that he was, you know, oh, number man. 102 of the 102 players. It <laughs> was fucking hilarious. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, man. It's just. Yeah. I th- what was it like about time they fired his ass? Yeah. Something along those lines? Yeah. Fuck him, dude. Yeah. He, yeah he ha- he's 102 for sure. Yeah. He's lucky he's 102. Yeah, really? Yeah. Um, anything else? What surprised me... Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, Rob. What surprised me was the fact that Elton left on the table. They trade Tobias or Matisse. Um, I know a lot of people are down on Tobias, but my view on him always is that he is here to compliment Ben. He plays better when Ben's in the lineup. Yeah, I mean, everybody you, does. When you went into that that one-on-one, that slow-paced kind of thing. He's not the type of player that can just pick up a ball and start shooting three. Like, he's not Steph Curry after not touching the ball for, you know, whatever. Um, That was my biggest takeaway was maybe that he could be on the move. But maybe he's just leaving it open. Like, I I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's going to say he's untouchable because if you can get out of that deal for an actual reasonable price, I think they would consider it, but... I don't think they can, so I don't think it matters. I think yeah, he, I think he's. Here. I don't think he's untouchable, but I don't think there's a deal for him, so he might as well be. I think that for you know, I I think everybody in this room is probably on uh, Team Tobias, and this was obviously a very ugly series for him, and and even I get that. But to your point of him playing better with Ben, I mean, obviously anybody does. Having Ben out there is a band aid on a lot of the problems they had, but. While I didn't like a few of the players who came out and said things, you know, mostly in regards to Brett about how, like, uh, their roles weren't clearly defined, I think Tobias Harris has to be the number one guy that you look at from anybody saying that, and he didn't say it. But I think if you're saying, did anybody have an unidentified role, it was Tobias Harris. As much as Ben Simmons is a Band-Aid to so many problems with this team, Tobias Harris was meant to be the Band-Aid for Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons' lack of growth because Ben won't shoot, and Embiid needs you know other guys to help create. And also, like they both need a guy who can also get 20 because Embiid misses games, Embiid's conditioning is bad sometimes, Embiid you know, takes a bunch of plays off, he can't play insane minutes. 
So Tobias Harris, if, if nothing else, was a guy that was playing you know, 35 minutes a night, didn't miss a game, was putting up 19 points a game or 20 points a game. I mean, it was what it was. They needed it so bad. So I understand it's it's not the best fit in the world, but I think that we already talked about the idea of a new coach coming in and trying to work with Ben and Embiid, but I think that Tobias has to be another huge talking point with that too because you need to – I think one of the biggest things with him was – there weren't that many things drawn up for him. There was never, there were never times for him to get in a rhythm because he was always this like fail safe, this last resort, this guy who you know Ben would dribble twenty two seconds off the shot clock and hand Harris a hot potato and say here you go <laughs> and force him to chuck it up or you know same thing. Embiid dribbles for ten seconds, then a double team comes and then it's like there's three seconds left and I'm going to throw a half court offline pass to Tobias where he has to leave his feet. The bail ca- bondsman of the team, you know, like I just think that. I'm not trying to make too many excuses for him. Again, this was a down year for the whole year. The shot wasn't great, and the playoffs were abysmal, but I just don't think that that's exactly who he is. And if you can get a coach to bring him in here and just find a way to put him, not you're not going to use him like he was used in that you know great season he had on the Clippers when we traded for him, but if you can just find ways to get him touches in that kind of role, then he can still have that success. The guy hasn't forgotten how to play. He's had plenty of great games here, great highlights. He's had times where he's stepped up. You know, he's fully capable of being that third guy. Is he overpaid for a third guy? Sure. But he has the talent and the ability to be the third guy. But he has to be, you know, schemed for. He can't just be a guy standing out there. You don't pay a guy 180 to have him stand there and just be a fail If you pay a guy 180 to get him involved and figure out how to get him going. And that's one area that I think Brett failed tremendously. And even though Tobias never said it because he won't, because he's a good guy and a great leader, that for all the guys who said it and were full of shit, I think if Tobias said it, I wouldn't have had an issue with it. And even Brett probably would have came out and said, yeah, like I didn't do a great job with that, which, you know, he now has admitted obviously leaving. And, and he was pretty good about the whole time he was here admitting, you know, some of his shortcomings and whatnot. But I think one of the less talked about ones is that I think he failed to buy his Harris uh, significantly post his shooting slump. He was shooting closer to like 39% from three and his splits from small forward to um, power forward are night great. and day. They're night and day. So, and if you looked at his last two playoffs, cause a big knock on him is saying, well, he didn't show up in the playoffs. Well, look what happened. You went to, you know, and be pick and roll iso ball with Jimmy when you took ben, the ball out of Ben's hand, and you did the same thing this year. You're playing against Tobias in that point rather than playing with yep. him. Yeah, I was going to say that Tobias at the four is that's where he's his best at. That's what he's always just, been. Yeah, the, the, and it, him at a three, uh. it, it's it's a home. And and the problem is is that that's not even a Horford thing now. That's a Ben thing now because if if somebody's going to come in and keep him. In this role at the four, then then Tobias is going to be the three in, in, in some regard. I mean, Ben's obviously pretty flexible. You could call Ben the three, I guess, but yeah, I think that's what they'll do. They'll just, they'll announce. Ben but as offensively, a power he sure as hell won't be. So it's still not no. going to change how Tobias kind of no. looks on the offense. But you know, that's a whole thing. So we'll see what happens with that. Obviously, you know, I don't really know what the structure of this offseason looks like. They they don't actually have it defined. Uh, plan for return yet, so we don't know if they'll start up, you know, November, December, January, uh, or things like that. So obviously, Silver, once we have Silver or, said uh, like last week 
the December 1st date isn't going to happen. Yeah. I, but yeah. I don't think they're going to give up Christmas. See, I, I think it should be Christmas all the time, and we've talked about this before. Yeah. I think every year it should start on Christmas. Great. And I would love that. I have the feeling it goes to January at this point, uh, especially because I think these, like, the you know, I, I think at this point all the teams look so even that I think a lot of these conference finals, even the second round, but especially the conference finals, each series probably goes pretty long, and the finals probably go pretty long. I don't see any team in here that's capable of sweeping another uh, one. So, And they want they want fans in the stands. Yep. So, and the target with COVID for the vaccine was always November, December. Yeah, we'll, we'll so see. So, probably we'll have, after that sometime. We'll have plenty to talk about for sure. We've got more to talk about on this. We're going to talk about possible replacements for Brett Brown. We're going to talk about right. uh, some things regarding Tobias and Horford. We'll talk about, you know, guys that could be on the move to some degree and things about the Embiid and Simmons pairing. But before we get to all of that, first a word from our sponsor, the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Who's the next person you know who will be buying or selling a home? Have them contact the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway for the most trusted process when it comes to real estate in New Jersey. Call today, 856-904-5636. That's 856-904-5636. And mention Process Potables for exclusive savings. So on to who may replace Brett Brown which is definitely going to be the hottest conversation for probably the next couple of weeks. Prior to Brett even being fired, I saw that Bovada had the three favorites for the coaching search as Kenny Atkinson, Sam Cassell, and Jay Wright, respectively. None were a heavy favorite, with Atkinson the leader at plus 500. Sham Sharania wrote in The Athletic, prior to Brown's firing, that 76ers assistant coach Ime Udoka, Clippers assistant and former Cavs head coach Ty Lue, Villanova's Jay Wright, and Kings head coach Dave Yeager were all candidates. Steve, we'll start with you. Of any of those guys or, you know, anybody outside the box that you may have also heard anything about, is there anybody there that sticks out to you as far as what you'd like? And, you know, I mean, I saw some people talking today about, you know, how does anybody really have an idea of of what these coaches exactly do? And, And I think that's a fair point. But... We've seen these guys coach other teams. So, I mean, you at least have evidence of what their success is. And the same thing with Brett. You have to take so many factors into consideration that you can't lump it all together and be entirely right. But to say that you can't have an opinion on some of these guys, I think, is definitely not true. And especially when you look at somebody like Jay Wright, uh, you know, if you've watched any Villanova games and you have an idea how Jay Wright works, obviously you know that they've won a couple championships under his tenure, but also that this is all at the college level. You look at a guy like Kenny Atkinson. We matched up with the Nets in the playoffs. We've played the Nets a ton of times since we've had Embiid and Simmons when Atkinson was their coach. So we definitely have an idea of what he brings to the table. Do we know everything? No. Do we have a fully formed opinion, or are we experts on what Kenny Atkinson could or would do here? No, but you can have an opinion, so... Uh, I don't think that it's crazy to have the conversations or think anything. Ty Lue, we obviously watched his Cavs team coaching LeBron. We also know that if he's a Clippers assistant, that he's coaching under Doc Rivers, which you can take however you want, whether you find that to be appealing or not. And M.A. Udoka, you know that here he was in charge of the Sixers defense. You know that he comes from the Popovich coaching tree and obviously now the Brett Brown coaching tree. I read that when he was with the Spurs, that under Popovich, basically his job once he was an assistant there was that he was basically given like eight or nine teams that he was in charge of the game preparation for and the plan for. So I guess Pop kind of 
dished out different teams to have coaches specifically work on those game plans, which I think is very, very interesting um, and a pretty cool concept. Not a surprise that you know, Popovich is doing innovative and, and cool things like that. And it also explains, again, why his coaching tree is so goddamn huge and successful because he's setting these guys up for success, which is just awesome. But you know, your thoughts on any of these names, anybody that's at the forefront uh, of what you would be looking for to coach the next generation of the Sixers. So, first of all, I do got to start off by mentioning it's interesting how we said on the last pod, it seems like Stan Van Gundy has been campaigning for this job, yet suddenly he's disappeared from all the speculation. And I think we text about this, how his name wasn't even on those uh, uh, Vegas nope. odds. So, not, now I'm not like a betting man. Um, so I don't know if maybe they just don't really know the odds there, or maybe that tells you that he's just not going to be in the coaching hunt. I mean, the fact so, that I don't think anybody's reported anything near his name, but that Sixers fans have speculated pretty much shows that my guess is that all the people around the league that know anything know that he's not interested in a job. Okay. Uh, that would be my guess, because if he had interest, and I have a hard time believing he wouldn't be somewhere on that list uh, compared to a lot of yeah. these names. Do you know anything about those odds, too, how they work? Not to go off track. Bovada's not Vegas. Bovada's offshore. Uh, you actually can't make those bets in Vegas. From my understanding is it's free advertising for sites. Listen, anything that's betting is money. Vegas to me. So. Okay. <laughs> you, you're, you're right. I did, I did, <laughs> yeah. I did misspeak, and, and I do know that, but I'm just so used to saying. No, no, but you're, yeah, yeah. No, but you you're mean, right. Bovada is offshore. A yeah. lot of people think, like, the Vegas odd makers are making odds for that when, like – how do you make odds for what team LeBron James is going to go to? Yeah. You nobody know unless you know something. So, uh, but so as far as other names you've mentioned, the more I read about it, Tyron Lue does kind of seem a little more appealing at first. I was just really not interested in him at all, but then a lot of it kind of makes sense. His pedigree, where he came from, uh, I believe he was also assistant under doc when he was, uh, coaching the Celtics as well. So, and the the thing is, he doesn't, from what I've read and know, he's not an X's and O's guy. Uh, he's not going to surprise you with anything new or innovative. But the big thing he has on his resume, other than winning a championship with LeBron James, is he took over a really, really, you know, um, I don't want to say bad from a, a talent stance, but a you know bad situation when a, I think David Blatt just kind of ran that team into the ground. It was just kind of like a toxic toxic environment and everything. And Tyron Lue was the guy that came in and brought them that championship. And apparently he's uh, you know the guy who got through LeBron. And this wasn't just him getting through a, a young LeBron James with the ego or anything, but this is you know. LeBron in his prime, uh, who's, you know, you know, won a title in Miami. So for a young coach like that to build that kind of relationship with, you know, at that time, especially the number one player in the league, get through him, get him and everyone else on the same, uh, you know, on the same page is I think that really speaks big dividends. And when the probably the biggest priority with the next coaches, like they're going to have to be able not only work with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons on the court, but also off the court and, you know, making sure these guys get along, their egos don't get out of place and that, you know, they work well together. So I think out of all these candidates, he's probably best suited to handle that. 
Yeah, I'm a Thai guy. Um, I wasn't at first. I fell into that that meme style of thinking of where well, LeBron coached, managed, and played for the Cavs. Um, then I started reading more about Ty. His one thing people don't like is his regular season. He's not very much in control. Um, what I've read was he likes to manage the regular season, but when it comes playoff time, if you read about his playoffs, most people who know actually about coaching, not me, know that he was steps ahead of, I mean, obviously Dwayne Casey, who was coach of the year, and they destroyed him every time. But even in 2016, he was steps ahead of um, Steve Kerr at times. Then there's that aspect, well, you know, he's LeBron's boy, he's just a pushover, where I started reading again, and I can show it to you guys. I read in the Washington Post. Well, some, some, uh, it was the Washington Post. Washington I told you to share the article. Yeah. yeah, where Ty Lu was starting to lose the locker room. So instead of – he went right after LeBron. Like, he, he told LeBron to shut up. He told LeBron to – he barked at him in films. He barked at him in practice. He basically got the players back on his side because – he told LeBron, like, this is my fucking team. You know what I mean? So I, I think there's stuff that we don't see, obviously, like that, where – and I think just coaching in three finals. Three? Who's three, three or two? I, th- I think it's two. I think it's only two. He won one yeah. with them. But just coaching there, like, the ability to, you know, scout and game plan for a seven-game series is really hard. And I think that, that experience alone – Puts him over the top. So you're people. saying his teams are built for the playoffs? Oh God! Don't <laughs> no, no, no. Oh. I'm not. No, I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, the Cavs had their best regular season record in franchise history on yeah. them. But they say that his regular season was sloppy, but he was just managing it. You know, as in like it's the regular season, right? You know? So uh, I know. I think we all can agree that we. Didn't love the initial reports of Ty. It sounds like we're all at least more on board with it now than initially, some more than others. You both made really great points, and I will say that obviously, like the finals experience and, and the getting to the finals experience definitely is something that I probably, you know, took for granted when first hearing his name because he he did get there and and whether you actually believe the whole, like, LeBron coached the team. I mean, obviously LeBron didn't coach the fucking team. <laughs> I think that it's way more believable that he had legitimate GM power than yeah. coaching power. Like, if LeBron said, this guy's coming here, then the guy came here. I, I don't think you can doubt that. But the thing that LeBron's out there, you know, deciding what their scheme is, no, I definitely don't believe that, even in a joking sense, that that's the case. So clearly there were things that Ty Lue was able to implement that are impressive. And the one thing that definitely I kind of missed at first, and as the reports have seemed to you know, indicate he's the favorite and definitely high on their list that, that I quickly picked up on, that weirdly I don't feel like that many people have talked about yet, be, probably because it's not necessarily a coaching tree per se, but Ty Lue played a lot of time under Phil Jackson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the good thing about a guy like Ty Lue is that he has the benefit of understanding what was good about Phil Jackson's system, but also being a guy who is now, you know, in this modern NBA. And I think that, you know, like a lot of the late Phil Jackson lack of success was trying to run a scheme that no longer fits the style of play. And I think Ty Lue has a lot of experiences from his playing time 
and now from his coaching time, whether that be playing under Phil Jackson, whether that now be coaching under Doc Rivers, whether it be being the head coach for a championship-winning team and coaching, you know, the second greatest player of all time in LeBron James, that, you know, there's a lot on that list to like, uh, to, to be very, very uh, honest. Can you imagine Ben Simmons running a triangle offense? No. <laughs> Can you imagine Ben Randall Simmons running ball. an offense? No. Mm. One I thing just, about Ty. I guess it would be an improvement at least. <laughs> One thing about Ty, too. So, for me, for coaching, I like the backup quarterback theory, Doug Peterson, um, which is why I don't always like the, you know, the superstars becoming coaches. Right. Um, so, Ty falls into that for me. Yeah. But he's also played and coached, like, three to – Played with and coached three of the greatest players of all time. Like, he had to have learned something from Kobe at some point in the two championships and he won Shaq. with him. And Shaq that he can bring to, you know. For sure. That's right. He played with Jordan on the Wizards, right? Um, I thought that's where you're getting at. No, I, I think he's talking about coaching LeBron. Oh, coaching okay. LeBron. Yeah. And even, even Kyrie, in a sense. Kyrie was. Well, yeah, true. Like, on, like. Those years he was in Cleveland, Kyrie was And even dominant. Kevin Love at that point yeah. was still a, a big enough name. Yeah. You know, he definitely has he he definitely has experience in all those things, whether you wonder, you know, how much of that experience was the success and how much having LeBron James and Kyrie Irving was the success is probably somewhat fair, but to that point, I mean, you're hoping that you have at least a similar kind of talent levels in Embiid and Simmons, so it should be a fairly similar situation. I would definitely argue that maybe not necessarily what they ended up with in the first round. But if you talk about the peak of this team this year with everybody available, that you could argue this team was deeper and more talented than that Cavs team, which was really just LeBron and, and Kyrie and a couple guys kind of, you know, like J.R. Smith here and there, uh, Kyle Korver here and there, things like that. But <sighs> I mean, they were, what, 29-2 and two at home? Like, they were dominated. The Sixers, the Sixers dominated at home. Yeah. So, like, they had talent. They just right. all kind of fell well, yeah, we Yeah, we know they aren't. I mean, Jesus Christ, they were projected to win the second most games in the East, and they were one of, like, the top four or five, you know, championship odds teams. They were supposed to be good. Obviously, that's not what happened. But we know that they, on paper, were a good team. That was the problem all year. They're good on paper. They weren't great on the court. But, you know, I, I think at this point I won't be upset about Ty Lue. Jay Wright's not going anywhere. That's no. ridiculous. There's no way it'll be M.A. Udoka, even though a lot of people like him, and I know the organization likes him. There's no way they're going to promote from within here. They need to go high profile. They're going to want to. Everyone's going to want them to. And at this point, I imagine that pretty much Brett Brown's staff is probably all getting cleared out. I don't don't really imagine anybody's going to stay from this coaching regime at all. So I imagine it's an entire new coaching staff. You know, I don't hate the idea of Yudoka staying on if if you know a guy like Ty Lue comes in and wants him, but I just I don't see the logistics of that working. I imagine that's going to be a clean sweep of the coaching staff, and yeah. the next head coach is going to be high profile and is going to come in and and hire their own staff. I did hear that one detractor could be because apparently the the Lakers were trying to get him Yudoka or Lou uh, Tyron Lou as their coach, and he apparently wanted like over seven million dollars a year, and they couldn't come to. So I imagine if you know he's asking that amount of money, he's also going to want dictation over who his uh, coaching staff around him is. Well, yeah, I mean the coaching staff, I don't give a shit about, but I mean you're definitely not going to pay him seven million dollars, especially when right now he's stuck being an assistant coach. It was a, uh, it was also a contract a a length thing. The the Lakers wanted him tied with LeBron. 
and only with LeBron. It was three years, mm. and Lou wanted more. So yeah, I, I don't I, mind giving him length. That's whatever. But they're going to pay him seven million dollars. They're going to have to fight for him though, because the Nets and New Orleans want him. Yeah, he's going to get the pick of his job. Oh yeah, probably. The uh, the the other name that I, I've talked to some people about that that I hate as a head coach, but if a guy like Ty Lue came, I wouldn't hate necessarily the idea of him maybe being his assistant if he's game for it is Jason Kidd. Because I don't think Jason Kidd can be a head coach at this point because, one, I think he's a piece of shit, and two, I don't mm-hmm. think he has the experience. But I don't hate the idea of Jason Kidd coming in to work with Ben Simmons, but I don't want him to do that and also be the head coach. So if you bring in Ty Lue to deal with the whole big picture thing, but you bring in Jason Kidd, as an assistant to learn from him, set him up for his next job being a head coaching role, and have him work with Ben, I think that that could actually be pretty favorable and and uh, valuable for this team. Uh, what do you guys think about you know a guy like Jason Kidd? Oh, I absolutely agree with that, and we, we've talked about it before. And I was telling Dan Rob that Jason Kidd for me was for whatever reason just one of his first hate the face guys. Like mm-hmm. I, I just really want to punch him right in the fucking face. Like there's just something. I always hate about Jason Kidd, and he just, as a coach, just hasn't shown me anything. Um, did he coach the Bucks when Giannis was on there? Like I thought years. he was the assistant coach. Okay, no, he was the head coach. He was the head. Was coach? he the head coach? Okay, I, yeah, and Bud and, was the assistant. And I'll never forget when uh, MCW went there. People were like, oh, Jason Kidd could be the Good. guy that turned MCW around. Well, that was a lost call. So, uh, but with that said, yeah, him working with Ben Simmons would be great, but. As long if that's his only job and there's no, you know, talks or considerations of, oh, if Ty Lue gets off to a bad start or, you know, he falls out of favor quick, we, we have Jason Kidd to fall back on. Like, I don't want that at all. But, you know, for like what you said, Dan, just uh, coaching Simmons up, that that would be ideal. So I, I read about him and I, I tried to get a lot of Giannis quotes. Giannis actually credits him to helping him develop, but he also kind of said, like, compared the two styles of coaching between Kid and Bud. And he was like, well, Kid couldn't get us over that first round hump, whereas Bud did. Um, yeah, Bud's, Bud's a guy that but, gets you to the second round. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but I don't know if that's going to be really a thing, because if you're Kid, why do you leave L.A.? True. Just to be another assistant. Like, I don't yeah. know. I mean, at this point, I mean, if we're talking about you know, Ty Lue, though, and kind of the prolificness of it, I just wonder if maybe he would be looked at more favorably if he came into this situation and had success rather than a, a, as as a as a guy with Ty Lue, and especially if you're going to give Ty Lue the length and know that you wouldn't be coming here with any expectation of being handed this job. You come here, you know, maybe on a shorter deal and, and be part of the fixing of the giant league-wide conspiracy of why Ben and Joel can't work. And then, like, you're going to have the pick of the litter of where you go. Whereas in L.A., again, kind of the same thing we've kind of talked about Ty Lue. A lot of people are just going to be like, okay, well, yeah, like, he was an assistant coach, but he had LeBron fucking James and Anthony Davis. Like, what did he really do? It just it might be more impressive on your resume to come here and have success, and maybe you try that hand if you're really looking to make the jump to a head coaching spot. Unless the Lakers are telling him he can take over. Sure, maybe. Because Vogel, I think, is linked to LeBron, too. I think they're all... But if he's like the LeBron and you're Jason Kidd, and the idea is that you would get the team, but then is it without LeBron, do you really want yes. that fucking job? Oh, it's the Lakers. <laughs> it's, it's the Lakers yeah. without LeBron. It's not that yeah. great. But even so, I mean, if you want to be a head coach, yeah, no, only I mean, 30. You know, like, both are very possible, so you, you make a great point. 
I have a couple questions here for you guys. You know, you can elaborate a little bit, but I, I want to try to keep these as more like your, you know, what first comes to your mind. Um, and, you know, maybe like a, a quick explanation, if anything. The first one, jumping back to Brett Brown a little bit. Uh, man, I, I forget who said this. I think it was... Oh, it was... Uh, who's the guy I fucking hate? Joe Giglio. <laughs> <laughs> that list is really long, so I had to run down it. I actually tweeted this today, and... It, I you know it's one of, it's it's a, it's a verbal meme. It's like the person you hate the most actually makes a great point. And he said, "The Sixers failed Brett Brown more than Brett Brown failed the Sixers." Do you agree with that statement? One hundred and ten percent. Yes. Okay, I agree as well. One coaching candidate, whether we talked about them or not, that you one hundred percent do not want. Well, since we already brought up with Jason Kent, I want to bring up Mark Jackson. Thank God. I do not want him anywhere near this team. And by the way, we have to bring up the whole exchange between him and George Carl. Did you see that? No. So I forget exactly what happened, but it was during a broad uh, a broadcast of a game, and Mark Jackson said something. I don't know what, but apparently – and this isn't the first time where it was like a criticism or a direct shot at George Carl. And then George Carl, I think, tweeted, which I didn't know he'd be on Twitter <laughs> as old as he is, but he just said, you know, well, I never did this, this, and this. Oh, and also, none of the teams I coach had become dynasties after I left. Oh, So fuck. that was like the ultimate, like... <laughs> I think it had something to do with getting Carmelo to play defense, wasn't it? Okay, yeah, that sounds right, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's so, very funny. Yeah. I don't like either of them for what it's worth, but oh, I yeah. fucking hate Mark Jackson more than almost anybody. So I def- definitely keep him away. What do you think, Rob? So this is going to be incredibly unpopular. Uh-oh. I'm 100% against Jay Wright. Oh, oh okay. I am too. Yeah. Okay. But, but I'm getting crushed on it on the oh, Twitter no. sphere but, too. See, I'm, I'm way more of the belief that he won't do it, that it doesn't matter that I don't want it, because I think there's a 0% chance he does it. Uh, I, I just don't think the Sixers are in a position to take a college, to coach. Take a college yep. coach and say, mm-hmm. you need to succeed in the next two years. Yep, absolutely. Oh, yeah. and every, that's why he's not th- – I mean, that's, there's several thousand reasons he's not yeah. doing it. And everyone that's wants to make the Brad Stevens comparison, but when Brad Stevens came to Boston, there wasn't the expectation, hey, you better right. build a winner in two years. Like, like no, he had the time to yeah. draft and develop whomever he wanted. And if you've ever watched Villanova basketball – that offense with, you know, basically four and five out, that's not going to work it's, with but, this But team. also, I mean, Brad Stevens was Baylor? I don't remember. I, yeah, I know they were. I know the yeah. Celtics were a seven seed his first year. Like, I'm, like, Villanova right now is, like, one of the top three to five programs in the country yeah. and has been for a long time. Like, he's building a dynasty there. You don't leave. Like, Brad Stevens had success, but they were not going to be a dynasty. No. The only like, reason it's he, different. The only reason he leaves if he has this, you know, this thing inside him where he wants to prove that he can be the, an NBA coach, which I don't necessarily think is true because he was offered, you know, uh, a position with the Knicks. I think the Suns were interested in him. Oh, Butler. Butler, Butler I yeah. said Bale or whatever. Close yeah. enough. So I, the only reason I see him making that jump is if he wants to go, you know what, I can do that. And apparently, sure. too, the only, the only reason this speculation ever started years ago about Jay Wright eventually coaching the Sixers is apparently at one point Ed Schneider was his neighbor, and they had a chat, 
Schneider? Like, yeah. And, like, they talked and... I think he said Schneider. Yeah, so, you know, people hang on, you know, hang their hat onto that. And then the fact that, oh, he's a Philly guy. And a lot of people are just going to ignore any kind of rationale or critical thinking and just go with the local guy. So, If it was, again, if it was three or four years ago... Right, I'd give him. Like, you brought him in when you brought Brett in. Fine. Yeah, yeah, that would make sense, and that would have made more sense for him too, because at that point, that program was not where it was. So yeah. it's like, yeah, fine, but also like, he was even less qualified then than Brett was because he hadn't had the success yet. So you probably didn't do it then. So either way, but no, I'm with you. I mean, I wouldn't say I don't want him because I mean, it, it'd be interesting, and I think he's a great coach. Don't get me wrong, but I agree. Like now is definitely a bad time. But I, I'm way more on the side of, like, he's not going to do it. So it really doesn't matter. Yeah. But, yeah, I definitely think the timing is very poor because right now the window is really short and your leash is very short. And, that, yeah. that, like, that could damage him really and be, poorly. And Bede's a free agent in 2023. So you either need to figure this stuff out or you're paying a 29-year-old Joel Embiid $40 million or he's walking away. Yeah, well, he's definitely walking away, so they're not going to pay him that. Well, I think I that's a conversation for another day, though. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so – not this off season, but next off season. Assuming that they are both still here, you can amnesty a contract of Tobias Harris at about three years, one oh seven left. It's my ballpark math and Al or Al Horford at about two years, fifty two, fifty three million. Uh, I my selection would be Elton Brand because he's been amnestied once before and he can be a, no. Uh, <laughs> my my uh, for me it would have to be Tobias just because that's going to be a much much harder contract to trade, and I think for some reason I just feel there's at least going to be one or two teams that are going to feel that hey we could still get that little bit of you know Al Horford magic. You think that after saw. another year here? Maybe I mean. Who knows? So, and everyone, and I don't know if this is what people are imagining or cooking up, but, you know, they keep saying, like, the the Kings were in on Hal Horford before he uh, traded for him. I don't know. So They were. I just feel like people, I don't feel, I think teams are going to be like, well, Al, For- Al Horford is, you know, way less money per year, you know, with one or two less years, and we could probably still get something out of them where people are just going to be like, well, Harris is an overpay, and, I don't think they're going to be able to find, you know, as much justification for another team to trade for him than Horford's, which is why I think he would be more likely to be honest. Let, let me ask you one follow-up question to your answer then. In your opinion, do you think, and you could say that either way it's the same, but if you want, you can choose one, what do you think is easier to move for Horford, 381 or 252? It's a good question. I mean, I... I would think the less years it'd be easier got to be easier to move, right? I don't know. That's why I'm asking. So I think it's interesting because one, if you think you can get something out of him, I think you'd want him in your system sooner. And the his annual salary actually decreases over the contract, so I don't think getting it later well, I guess getting it later does help in that regard then. So maybe that's yeah. the case and also you get out of it quicker, but if you do believe you can get something out of him, do you want to then trade anything for him with only two years remaining? You have to spend probably a year implementing him, and then you're getting, like, one year of solid productivity. Yeah, that's true. And I guess, like, if there's one other argument for is that the team trading for him is like, okay, we got two years. We'll see what we ha- what he has in the next year, year and a half. Um, and then if, you know, at the very end, come trade deadline, they could 
sell him to another team for whatever. You know, get the expiring yeah, contract. Expi- move yeah, off. He, he. I'm sure he will be one of the more attractive expiring contract. Oh, trade for sure. In, you in know, that case, that time. So. Rob, what about you? I'm getting rid of Horford. I um, I understand the cap implications and the money implications, but to me, Tobias is still a plus player, and Tobias doesn't make literally everyone else on the court's job harder. Um, so if we're stuck next year, that means you can't trade anybody. Um, and I don't expect Horford to get better all of a sudden next year in the, with these guys. So I I think, personally, I thought you should trade in, uh, Horford only if you get something back. And with some looking and some reading, I think this team's better off with them off the team completely yep. just going. Yeah, I agree as well. It would definitely be Horford for me. I, I don't think there's... Uh, that much of a discussion to be had with it. Again, I agree. Tobias is a plus player. Whether you think that he generates the value for the contract, you can definitely have that conversation. But to say he doesn't generate value is a travesty. And I legitimately believe that Al Horford does not actually generate you any value, whether it's alongside Embiid as a power forward or as a backup or fill-in center. I think he has uh, you know, let you down in every single facet of things you thought he could do. So there really is. And no his sister there. sucks. I was his say, if, sucks. Even his <laughs> even his wild, crazy sister can see it. She tweeted the other day that they can't play together. Like yep. everybody knows this. It's <laughs> yep. I mean, hey, he he chased the bag and he baited them into it, and good yeah. for him. You know, I never I never hate anybody who goes and gets paid. Believe me, if I could go and get paid, I would. Oh yeah, uh, that's what we're trying to do here, but not working out so far. All right. In the Boston series, if they have Ben Simmons at 75%, what's the outcome? I still think they lose a series, but I think Ben Simmons steals at least one or two games because it's just every game Tatum just went off and just couldn't be stopped. or He couldn't even be slowed down well, at except all. Except they gave me a foul trouble. But yeah, I was about to say the only time he got into, you know, when lost. he got into foul trouble, yeah, that's when – you know, he slowed himself down. Um, hmm. So I think Ben Simmons would have been able to do that. He would have probably had at least one or two games where he just would have shut Tatum down. And just by doing that, we could have easily won. And I think people already forget after game one, everyone just said, all we have to do is limit the turnovers and then we'll be, you know, we'll be able to win the series. They did that and it still didn't work. So. Obviously, Ben Simmons was the missing piece. And, again, he could have stole one or two games, but I still see that Boston would have forced the Sixers' hand in having to play smaller. You may have – we may have seen some small ball, uh, you know, center from Ben Simmons, which I don't like, but in the pinch, in the playoffs, you know, sure. Um, But I I don't see us winning the series with him. I think it'll be a lot closer than what a lot of people think. Um, if you listen to Brett, if you listen to Ben, and you listen to Tobias, coming into Orlando, there was, like, two pretty big trigger words. It was fast and pace. Um, the team changed its mindset to keep up the pace and play fast. The minute uh, Simmons went out, they went to this iso ball. And, I mean, you could see it, like, you know, Furkan was getting crushed because he, he didn't make it three. But, like, who's getting on the ball? Exactly. Yeah. You know? So, can he get Furkan nine points? You know, three threes. Can he get, you know, um, when, once you get into that, that, that movement, that schematic that you're used to, 
and you're not the biggest problem obviously with this series I think we all saw was trading hard twos with Embiid for easy threes with Tatum yep. and their wings. Mm-hmm. And I think with Ben, if you speed it up a little bit and you play a little faster, um, he gets more people involved. You you can change the dynamic of a series that way. Plus his defense. I mean, we all know his defense is it is what it is. Yeah, and one of the biggest things with Ben, it's not even necessarily, you know, whether you're you're a guy that believes Ben is is a huge reason for their success or not. The thing is that, you know, they're so they're so used to him and all the things that he does and they had basically no time to adapt for it. It's one thing if like you knew all of quarantine he wasn't gonna be able to come back from the back injury and you prepare for it and you have all the playing games to figure it out. But the one thing that we kept hammering and the reason we had hope was, you know, if the season would have went on as normal, they may not have had him for any of it. And we were like, Oh, quarantine's gonna be able to get him back for them. Like that's huge. He can come back healthy and they really could have a chance. And then they look decent in the first half of the playing games and then he's out and you're like, All right, like now they're fucked, and not only that, but they were you know preparing to play with him, and now they had you know basically like two or three games to prepare, which Embiid was barely playing either, and then you go into a playoff series with a team that has gotten Kemba healthy and has everybody available and has been building that chemistry back through the eight games, and you know you, you were basically set up to fail from the start uh, with, with all but, of that. But let me ask you, uh, since we're talking about Ben. How do you feel about Giannis getting Defensive Player of the Year over Ben? I mean, it's a popularity contest. Yeah, the pro- I mean, the Ben injury in- kind of screwed it up anyway. I wrote an article for us back, uh, I think, when Ben got hurt. Or back right in, like, the February. Yeah, yeah, about okay. how, you know, for the first two-thirds of the season, I definitely think Ben could have been considered the Defensive Player of the Year, but the games missed, and everything was definitely going to hurt any chance anyway, and, you know, the popularity contest wasn't going to help him either. Yeah. I don't. I don't think, like, those awards, I know they're supposed to be yearly, but I don't really think they are. They're not. So, I think in another year or two, if Ben continues to do this, you'll see him jump up. You have to basically win it and not get it to then win it later. Yes. Like a Pat Bev. Like, is Pat Bev really that great on defense this year, or was he just the name that everybody knew? Yeah, he's a guy that you think of now because of his past success, but... If you looked at guys this year, he's not really. Up and Giannis there. wasn't last year. He didn't win it, right? No, I think and I don't think Gobert. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think his defense was much different than this year. No, I don't think so either. So yeah. I know there was a lot of people mad that AD should have got it over Giannis. He finished second, but I've never really seen it with Anthony Davis. I don't know how uh-huh. he keeps getting on that list, but don't whatever. Get, like you said, popularity yeah. gets uh, you a long way. So. Uh, okay, you have to move one, and you know value is relative. Just basically the idea of them no longer being here. Matisse or Josh Richardson? I'm gonna go Matisse, and that's only because I feel that uh, if Elton Brand's smart enough, he may be able to oversell Matisse to someone and get you that much more in return because. Because you can be like, hey, listen, this is someone who virtually every game gets you two blocks, two steals, does all this stuff on defense, and, you know, some other team like, you know, yeah, every time I see Sixers highlights, this kid's making blocks when he loses his defender and he's trailing behind him and blah, 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 blah. Um, whereas I think Richardson, is this is his last year coming up, right? Yes. So, yeah, so he's he's not going to – This year's the player option ne- or the following? 
fo- ne- the following year he has a player okay. option. Oh, okay. And I mean, that's a, he's only getting paid like ten million a year, so his contract is uh, compared to a lot of the other contracts on a team is you know fairly manageable. And I don't think he's going to quite get you as much value as a Matisse could. I move Jay Rich, um, simply because when he opts out after next year, they're not going to pay him. Oh no! So I'd rather have four years of Matisse than one year of Jay Rich. Rob, I, again, I agree with you. Uh, I think one that I think Richardson would be more valuable in a trade because he's a better piece right now, and he's on a, a friendly deal now. Plus, he's a guy that a lot of other teams could offer to re-sign. So you bring him in, see if you know it's a fit, and if he likes it there, you know you offer him the extension and try and get him in. I was talking to uh, Marty Teller about this, who I'm hoping we're going to get on for you know one of these pods to talk about trades and plans. But I did ask him. You know, at this point, because me and him had talked before about, you know, Richardson, because he's a Richardson guy. I've been on the fence. And, you know, he had mentioned to me previously that after the season, maybe he could be a good, you know, buy low candidate for them to try to sign now. And I asked him because I honestly Mm. wasn't sure with their cap. I said, you know, what could they do with him right now? And he said, like, they can offer him 458 right now. And so my next question, you know, regardless of what your answer to the last one was, is if you, if, Josh said he would take four fifty eight right now. Would you extend him? I mean, I would. I mean, I like you. I've been on the fence about him. Uh, there's a lot in the playoffs I didn't like, but I also think there's a lot that we maybe haven't seen yet or uncovered with the new coach. Um, and then, hey, maybe he you know uh, plays to the level that we expected him. We traded for him, and maybe again, like uh, if things don't work out. I mean, that's not too hard of a contract to move on. So maybe there's added value with with him having an extension. I would, um, but it would have to come with the stipulation that they're going to make moves around Josh, that or around the team that Josh isn't going to be the defensive specialist, the two guard, then play point guard, then go do something else. You know, just I felt like this year he's done way too much than what yeah. he should have. Yeah, Jack and I think that's a lot. Master of none, and I think that's a lot of where his turnovers and stuff come in. Find him a role, and four fifty eight for a guy like Josh, who can give you thirty. We've seen it. Who can play defense? You can trade that easily. I mean, that that was my biggest thing is whether whether you like him or not. That deal, it's it's the Covington deal essentially. Yeah, it's so movable. It's such value that you absolutely do it either way. But again, I think that there's, a, I think it's more likely he would exceed the value of that deal than not live up to it. So I, I'm good with it either way, whether it is, you know, maybe with the potential of moving him at some point or whether it's, you know, again, with the way that their cap is right now, I think it's one of those things that you may really have to do. Um, and you hope that maybe, you know, after a down year, he does it. After dealing with the injuries, maybe he doesn't want to risk. You know, a, a contract year, especially playing in a place where he's not putting up the numbers and, and maybe actually doing his value more harm than good. Maybe you just kind of cash in now and at least know that you're going to be with a team that's trying to win and has the talent what? to get you a title. And and because he's on a team now, they could offer him that deal, but they're not going to be able to really offer anyone else in free agency that deal if they're over to cap, right? Right. No, that, yeah. That's, so. Right. so that's the whole point. You well, have him yeah. here now, so that's the advantage. One thing, too, I think, and I, I don't know if the agents will know, if the players will figure it out, or this is just something I'm guessing. 
They lost a ton of money this year. Oh, yeah, the cap's going to probably yeah. eat less. Not even just the cap. Uh, teams aren't going to want to spend like they used to. Like, yeah, Mal- to does Malcolm Brogdon get, you know, four years, $85 million if we don't know when fans are going to be in the stands right. for the rest of the, you know. Yep. So free agency, which is normally in basketball, everybody goes, oh, my God, might not be that robust anymore. Well, I think that's why we, we're – they have to do an amnesty, maybe even two, like to. And that's why I asked the question for yeah. another year because I don't think it'll be this one. But I think there's a very chance that next season that they may need to re-implement that, and that that would be the the time for it to happen. Yeah. People aren't going to like this either, but my guess is they dump Mike Scott and Zaire this year. See, Mike Scott's another one that I just think the the deal is is probably not worth getting rid of because you just need the body. Uh, Zaire, maybe, because I just don't think he's ever going to do anything. Well, but again, I mean, what does that, what does it do for you to get rid of him? Well, it doesn't do anything for the team or for fans. But if you're an it doesn't owner, doesn't do anything for the cap. He doesn't make any money. No, but if you're an owner, you're not paying tax on that. You're, you're these owners. I, I would guess these owners are going to try to cut every. Nothing would they surprise could. me. You're, you, yeah, you know, you got me there. If you have a guy like Zaire who's going to make eight million this year, and you're paying one of the heaviest luxury taxes in the league, and he's not contributing. But I just figure, you know, like, Burks is going to walk. Glenn Robinson's going to walk. Like, even if he doesn't play, Zaire may have to be the 11th or 12th guy on that bench. Yeah, you would think so. So so it's the same, you know, again, even you just may need the body because they don't have the money to give anybody. Yeah, guys like him, Shake, Merrill, Shake. It's going to be vet minimums. Yeah, like, and again, if you're talking about saving money, you know, it'd probably save them more money to just stick him at the end of the bench and pay him the money you kind of owe him anyway yeah. versus I mean, paying him and also paying a vet minimum to someone else. I'm not ready to give up on him. No, I know. I know you're not saying that. Yeah. And, and, again, I understand we, these owners will be We cheap. saw him in Delaware get better throughout the year. Absolutely. You know? I, I mean, not enough to play in the NBA still, but not yet, better. He no. needs some time. If he gets some minutes and stuff and gets comfortable, maybe. Yep. But he needs a full year down there at least. I don't know if he can. I think there's some kind of rule with first-round picks after a certain amount of years. Can't keep sending them down. Well, I mean, if he's on the two-way, he probably can. Well, he, he won't be. He's on a, he's on a, his rookie deal. So they can't convert him to a two-way. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. It's just something that I heard, and, like, it's in my head for some reason. No, you, so you I feel like right. I made it. No, I'm not making it up. Yeah. But that's true. I forgot that that's, like, a contract thing. Yeah, because, I mean, Shayok and uh, – you know, to was a, a second rounder, but they uh, didn't they convert him to a. Uh, they two- signed him to a two way. Yeah, yeah, so the same thing they did with Shake when Shake right. they offered him a uh, a two way right off the bat. But now he's on the four year hanky special. Yes. Yeah. Well, maybe not that, but I'm pretty sure it's really cheap. Uh, all right, last question I have before we talk about our final topic is: Has anything since the restart? So. The playing games, the playoffs, quotes from anybody, the Brett firing, anything we've talked about tonight, whatever, anything you want. Ha- has anything changed your belief in the ability to make the combination of Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons work? What is your confidence level in that pair staying together and having what I would call reasonable success, which means that over the next four years they make it to – you know, at least two conference finals, if not a finals appearance or a win. 
So I'm confident that they can get as far, at the very least, uh, Eastern Conference Final, and that they can play together and win together. Uh, but there's a lot of buts and a lot of moving pieces, a lot of things that have to fall into place for everything to work. Like Elton Brand said, he needs to work on finding players that complement them and really make them a contender. I just kind of fear that if this coach, you know, things go awry again, another first-round exit, something everyone's worried about, well, they're going to have to trade Embiid and Simmons because, you know, they just can't coexist. Like, that's the narrative, especially nationally, that they can't play together, one has to be traded, and that's not the case for us. I think, you know, similar but not quite the same is that if this happens again, Embiid be like, you know what? I want to get the fuck out of here. And he may just said, trade me. And I could see one or two of them if things don't really change or get better in the next year or two. I could see one or even both of them say, you know, I've had enough of this organization. You guys just fucked everything up since I've gotten here, especially after uh, Sam Henke. And I just don't have faith in this organization. So I have faith that they can win together and coexist together and everything. It's just going to have to, man, it's just going to take a lot of the the right moves and, and, you know, a lot of good things are going to have to fall into place, which I'm not so sure is going to happen. I think they can definitely win together. I don't think they do. Um, One thing that I've seen over the past year is this slowly transition to Ben Simmons' team and the fact that Al Horford was injury insurance for Embiid or was he trade insurance if they were going to trade Embiid? Because Horford can technically work with Ben. Right. Yeah. So if you're going to trade Embiid, now you have Horford sitting there. Um, and I just think with the contracts, the way they're set up, if they don't figure something out soon, like you said, either Embiid's going to request out or when's his best value at? Next year? Or like, Jesus Christ, if he gets fucking hurt again, they may amnesty him. They might have to amnesty I him. I mean, his, his deal is immovable. He doesn't make that much. He's making like twenty eight million. Oh yeah, and he, he does had, have a lot of injury. His uh, deal is too. absolutely yeah. movable. That's the have. scariest part. And there's a lot of uh, things in that deal where the, the money's not guaranteed if he gets injured or, or something foot. like that. I, I would yeah. argue that after Josh Richardson, he is the easiest contract to move. And you could convince me he's the easiest contract to move. Because Ben is about to hit the beginning of his extension, so that's still. I think anybody would take it because of the the talent, but still, it's a lot of money. Horford's almost impossible. Tobias is literally impossible. So, I mean, I, Josh and Embiid, you could you could convince me either way. Embiid obviously being the superior talent, but coming with the price tag, but a price tag that I think is absolutely fair for what he is. Whether you think he's your one A or your second best guy. Um, and I think, you know, I never thought about this, but Rob, I definitely agree with you, especially if Ben Simmons, if he starts to really drastically improve, he becomes more like LeBron. He can, you know, make the occasional three. He can shoot better from the foul line. Just being a better all around offensive player, it will be his team. Right, and yeah. unfortunately, I, mean, I, I, I agree. Jimmy Wall and JJ going to bias and out here. Yeah, and and here's the other thing. Like, well, JJ, I don't think it was a Ben thing, but no, no. But I think yes, you're. And, I, I know what you're saying. And like, look, I, at, I, I get what you mean. It's just pieces gone, but and that made Embiid's life better. Ben, Ben, and JJ absolutely could work. Yeah, 
And if you, you know, you look at the Lakers and, you know, I guess not even the Bucks, but it's just like it, today's NBA, you know, the, the having the best center in the league just isn't going to, you know, win you a title like, like Shaq did. Like that's yep. just, we're not in that time. If we're, if the scenario is where Ben Simmons passes and beat as the best player on the team in today's NBA, that's what's probably more likely going to get us to the no. playoffs. Well, and look at the jazz. I mean, I know Rudy Gobert is not Joel Embiid offensively, no. but Rudy Gobert is an incredible defensive center who has a little bit of offense, especially as like a rim runner and a rebounder and stuff like that stuff that people want to be to do more of. And he could, but he has the guy that you would be clamoring for to have here in Donovan Mitchell, mm-hmm. and they're not winning anything either. No. So it, it kind of does speak to the fact that even if you had that ball handler, shot creator, guy who can score 50 with Embiid, is is it a formula for success? I don't know. Whereas if you had Ben Simmons, this game changer, defends one through five, moves the ball, makes everybody better, and then you had other guys who can do the scoring part, do you think that that's a better uh, way to win in today's NBA, I think a lot of people would say yes, and you could definitely convince me of that. And I'm saying all of this, making myself very upset because <laughs> I love Joel Embiid and don't yeah. want to entertain any of those ideas, but it's a reality. And, and like, look, like like the Clippers, they're the two seed. Their two best players are Kawhi and Paul George. The the wings that defend it, and shoot threes. Yeah, that's what they and do. And, even, you know, the, the Lakers, like... It, Maybe the two uh, best in the league. Yeah, as great as AD... Is he wanted to be trade Lakers to be number two to LeBron? Yes. You know, so. And I'm going to tell you this, and I'm hoping this sticks. Joel Embiid came out and said it. You cannot run the offense through him. And he knows this. So hopefully, you know, that's that's a good thing. Because I do think if you get Ben and Joel, you, you can win. But I think what I'm worried about is ownership in the front office. As it's getting towards the end of Embiid's contract, them going, we're going to let him walk for nothing. And the return dangling there, dude. There's Tyler no Hero, way they let him walk. Tyler Hero no. and Duncan Robinson. If Embiid's going to walk in a year, would you make that deal? Yes. The, the I'm, I'm also going to need a, a first or well, two. I'm just saying as players, but yes. yes. But yes, yeah. absolutely. But, and that kind of return will probably. Put those two shooters around Ben Simmons. And that kind of return will probably hang there. Those two with, with, with Simmons and Horford. And or Simmons, Horford, and Harris, yeah. And think about the ball movement. Yep. So that's, that's why be a I fast say offense. That's oh, why yeah. I say I don't think it works because I don't think if you see drastic changes, I think they're going to almost panic because it's too late now. Well, yeah, like, all, all this franchise yeah. does is panic. And, li- and like you said earlier, last season they panicked. This off season they panicked. Yeah. Well, this past off season. So two last season they panicked. This past off season they panicked, and this off season they'll probably panic. And like you said earlier, Rob, it was this series was Embiid getting his you know buckets in the paint, but then down the you know on the opposite end, floor Tatum's nailing threes, yeah. and well, it's right, just but, I mean Ben's out. So what do you? It's a yeah, there's no Ben Simmons, and it's just you know that's that's why I hate when like a lot of people said he just needs to stay in the paint, not move, and get his two works. points like. Like this isn't nineteen ninety nine with Shaquille O'Neal. Like that's that's not how the game works. So I'm not and I'm not advocating to trade and beat, but no, if, you, yeah. if you're stuck as a team next offseason, you still have Horford, you still have Tobias, nobody's taking those contracts, and you're going, This isn't gonna work. It's you might have to sell your best piece. Yep. Yeah. The most value that one like I said, probably easiest yeah. tradable contract. And, you know, you set your team up to be a much more modern, you know, normal NBA offense in this day and age. So 
It makes a lot of sense. It's Let's just trade but... Horford first, and then we'll, yeah. we'll yeah. tackle Embiid. Yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, okay, so the last thing is a uh, much brighter note than a lot of this was I just wanted to quickly talk about Kobe Bryant uh, and Allen Iverson's piece on the Players' Tribune titled Dear Kobe that they released yesterday, which was Kobe Bryant's birthday. Uh, well, yesterday being Monday. So if you're listening to this, it was Monday the 24th. Uh, I sent you guys this link just so we could talk about it and talk about Kobe a little bit. Obviously, we, we talked a good amount about him you know, when the uh, when the incident occurred a few months ago. But uh, reading this piece from Allen Iverson, uh, you know, really got me, you know, started my Monday off pretty emotionally yesterday, uh, being a, a growing up really with Iverson and Kobe being the, the two biggest stars uh, of my youth and being the guys that I was on the court trying to implement the most and things like that. The first thing I would say about this, and, you know, I want to focus more on Kobe, but I've got to say with Iverson, and we've touched on this a few times, and I know a lot of people feel this way, and I just, I got to bring it up every time because I love it so much. I love that Allen Iverson is just this incredible ambassador for basketball at this point. Like, this is something you would not have expected from him watching him as a player and seeing the way his career went and the way that he has really, you know, gathered himself in his later years and not only is still showing love and sharing incredible memories and stories from, you know, legends of the past. But he is such an advocate for today's game, for today's players. He's always shouting out current players, giving them love, talking about how great they are. He's not one of those guys who's like, back oh, you know, day. back in the 90s, you know, we played defense and we were hand-checking and scoring 83 points a game. Like, he just loves the game. He loves, you know, college kids that are coming up, high school kids. He also respects all the stars in the league today, like – you know, it, it, it's so great, and I love him so much for it. And it, it's really nice because, you know, once he gets dealt from here and, you know, he's getting moved around and he's falling off and he has the money issues and all these things, and you're like, man, like, this is going to really tarnish the legacy of this guy, and what is the story really going to be? He, he's really found his place, and I feel like he's really in a great spot. And not only is that amazing to see now and, and bring so many great stories and and things like this article, and he's written, I think, a couple pieces for the Players' Tribune, and they've all been very good. But, you know, it, it also just helps looking back on his career here, you know, makes it easier and makes it, you know, shine like it should because, you know, it gets that bad taste of all those other things out of your mouth and makes you realize that, you know, he, he's going to be an ambassador for this team for the rest of his life. He's going to be an ambassador for the league. You know, he got the Hall of Fame, you know, nomination, which I, I was glad to see. Uh, that he got, and, you know, again, just growing up as a kid of him being basically my basketball hero, um, it's nice to know that, you know, I don't have to live with, it with like, a, a, a tarnished uh, vision of him. And, dude, every time they bring back, like, Dr. J, he looks like the most miserable sh- old shit in the room. <laughs> I mean, he's pretty old, like, man. Yeah, he's old, and he's I know... He's pissed off he has to be there. And I know he's a guy, like, you know... You know, like my my dad and a lot of guys just loved growing up, but he just he doesn't ever look like he wants yeah, to but be. The, there. And, and the other thing too you know, is one, I mean, this ownership group fucking sucks. And two, yeah, the years that they that. were really bad, they were parading around all the uh, the Sixers, you know, legacy guys all the time because you know they would have to have like meet and greets for season ticket holders, and nobody wanted to go fucking meet Jakar Samson. Yeah, yeah, like nobody <laughs> gave a shit. So it'd be like, all right, well, here's the thing, and here's t- World t- Be Free, t- everyone. T- yeah, like World Be Free was <laughs> everywhere, dude. Yeah. And, uh, and so like you know they're probably fucking pissed off of how much work they had to do for the team during those years, and and carry the team again at this point in their life. 
Yeah. But what what were your thoughts on this? Um, you know, was there was there anything that stuck out to you? Anything that that really kind of touched you? And if you have any, you know, Kobe stories or memories you'd also uh, you know like to share, you know, that's fine as well as we. You know, try to pay him some tribute for uh, his birthday passing. Yeah, so I know I've I mentioned this before, but I I hated Kobe, but that was more of hate. You know, not, not that I hated him as a person. It's like a wrestling just, heel. You're exactly. Yeah, him. you're supposed you to hate him. him. He's he, so good. He was he born in Philly, team. and he goes to the Lakers, one of the most hated franchise in all of sports. And um, I just thought that okay, if us fans hated, I'm sure AI and the rest of the Sixers just really hated him. Uh, but the article. Uh, you know, talked about Alan just like, you know, they, they just like respected each other so much. And they, they like, they made, they made damn sure that they were going to give each other hell when they played each other. And I just thought that was really cool. And AI kept kind of saying, you know, there was no beef, you know, when we talk trash, it's just because we were just being competitors and trying to get the best out of each other. And, you know, he even says how um, in their rookie year, they were uh, meeting up and, He's like, Kobe, what are you going to do? He's like, he's like, I'm going to go to the club. And yeah. Kobe's like, oh, I'm going to the gym. And, you know, like that right there kind of tells you, it kind of set the, uh, you know, way for each of their careers. So. I love listening to older basketball players talk. So, like, people don't like them, but Chuck and uh, Shaq, I think they're hilarious. I like them. Oh, they're yeah. funny. And I, I love, like, talk hearing the stories you don't always hear. Yeah. And hearing a guy like AI or Wright go, you know, how how are you going to lose the scoring title when you average 32 points a game? Yeah. yeah. You know, but the, the why do you have to go and score 35, man? Yeah. Why'd you have to do that? <laughs> the coolest thing to me about that article is, and it, it is more towards AI than uh, Kobe, but when you hear AI talk or you hear him, he, he calls himself great all the time. I mean, he, in that article, in that essay said, you know, greatness pushed greatness or whatever, but it doesn't come off as, Almost like a Shaq, where Shaq is like, oh, "I'm the greatest," you know. Right. Like it comes off as like a genuine. Yeah, Shaq always like, seemed like it but was that a comes back to bit. that ambassador of the game. Yes. He's always yeah. putting other guys up. Where it seems like Shaq's always on TV talking shit, being like, "Yeah, oh, I was better and than even, this. I always did this. These guys don't do that." Like my, that's not I, what I, I think. Says. My favorite line in it was uh, Iverson said, "You know, I was a winner, but you were a champion." Yeah, you know, like, and I, I think that's it's it's weird. It's like this humble sense. But in the same way of him saying he's great, because he is great. I mean, everybody knows that. You know, I it makes me wonder, you talk about how you like listening to basketball, you know, like the older players, guys that are retired, talk about, you know, the old days. And I think that's a part of a lot of, you know, why that's appealing is because that's when they start to pull back the curtain because, you know, up to those days, there was no social media. There was no, like, um, TMZ or I mean, obviously, there was, like, you know, press that just tries to get nothing but bad stuff on you, but, like, to the level it is these days. So I wonder if those kind of stories and tales we might not hear as we get older and whatever just because a lot of that that stuff just comes out, you know, as as soon as, you know, anyone tweets about it. So And it's cool listening to them talk about it like it's real life, and you're like, that's not real life. Like <laughs> he's like, yeah, that's my, just yeah. that's my story. dream. He's like, yeah, yeah. In finals, we were talking oh. shit in the first game of the finals, and yeah. you're like, wait a minute. Well, that's, that's a funny thing too. And we, we, you know, we talked a little bit about this with like you know a guy like Bird, even a guy like Allen about how like you know a lot of these guys. You know, we talk about guys we see on TV. There's not that many of them. A lot of these guys kind of ride off into the sunset and get out of the public light. So. Like, I could read stuff like this all day, but we don't get that much of it. Like, it may seem like because there's so much content around sports that 
you know, there's a lot of this, but this is the stuff I want more of that there isn't enough of. And I, I loved what you said, that, that quote about it was, uh, I was a winner. I did it my way. I won some games, but you were a champion. Yeah. You got rings. You got rings on rings. Yeah. You were loved all over the goddamn world, and you were loved in my own house. My oldest daughter <laughs> loved Kobe Bryant. She always wanted dad to win. Don't get me wrong, but she wanted Kobe to go off too. And my favorite part is right after that. Um, shoes? No. So the next yeah. part is, you know, his kids were talking about wanting, yeah, wanting the shoes. They're wearing his number, but he says, you were one of their heroes. And if I'm being honest about it, you were a hero to me too. Even though you were younger than me, I looked up to you because of how much you sacrificed, how much you gave to this game. Like, that's my point to all of it that I love so much. And it's funny because, you know, now that I, I'm getting a little bit older, you know, like I've told people younger than me, you know, that I look up to them and respect them too. A guy like like Ty Dalbert, our friend who works for Phillies Nation. I mean, the kid's like 20, 21 years old. And I'm telling him all the time, like, dude, you're doing great work. Like, I envy you. I'm proud of you. Like, he's a kid, man. And he's doing such great things. Like, I'm, I'm more than 10 years older than him. And I wish yeah. I was doing the stuff he was. I like, told and Sixers I think, Adam while he was still in high school. Yeah. That I, I looked mean, up to him. I was a freshman at Temple for <laughs> yeah. fuck's sake, and the kids, like, the kids killing yeah. it. Like, well, you know what it is? It's, it's so incredible, what? and like, and, then, and that's the thing is, you know, like, believe me, I'm petty and I'm bitter a lot. I'll admit it for sure, but like, not, but not to the guys that that I respect, and I have no problem saying that, like, when these younger kids are putting in the work and having success, like, I have no issues. Like, I love them, especially the two we mentioned. Like, those guys do incredible work. They deserve everything they've got like that and like it feels good to like have that yeah as much as people like to bash on you know how their generation is better than the current generation they don't work as hard blah 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 you always see these examples of people you know whether it's a kobe Bryant or you know a writer like ty it's just what all these people have in common is they're just way more mature you know than they actually are. Like, they're way beyond their years. Yeah, just and don't yeah. read my text they're messages just, with Ty. And then you yeah, don't, it don't do but, that. Um, well, but don't but you, you, you got to admire it. And I think that's why even if someone younger than you, you just got to respect and admire it. And before I forget, you talk about how you, you know, uh, you always got to talk about how AI was a great ambassador of the game. Is a great he is ambassador of the game. I cannot, you know, not... <laughs> I can't not talk about him, not to, uh, bring up in his Hall of Fame speech how he pretty much quoted the Chappelle show. <laughs> like, I need to make sure no one forgets that. So, dude, I love what was the I quote? Love, it was, I, I don't remember, I don't think he really quoted anything, but he talked about, you know, someone being like Rick James, how he was portrayed by, uh, you know, Dave Chappelle in the Chappelle <laughs> show. And I just, I was just like, oh my God. When Iverson talks, it's not like he's talking at you. It's like he's talking with you. Like, when you hear him talk, now, never mind. You know, sometimes you hear him talk, and maybe he's, you know, a little more loose than the rest of us. But he, it's like he's just bullshitting with you. Like, yeah. that whole article about Kobe and all, it wasn't like, I know Kobe. It was more like, if you know, sitting around shooting the shit with you. You, like, you felt like you were sitting, at, you know, with him in a booth at a TGI Fry sharing some, like, you know, fries. <laughs> and On the main line. Yeah. So. No, but, like, you know, he's not sitting I know like, what you're oh, saying. Yeah, I knew Kobe, and he was my best friend. And, like, yeah. you, know, you know, like, I'm so much, like, you know, the lo you know his loss means more to me than anybody. I was, no, it's just like, you know, I know everyone loved him. Like, here's some stuff that, you know, uh, a little bit removed from it. Maybe we'll we'll make everybody, you know, have a have a great memory, you know, bring bring a smile to some people. And you're right, it's not really like it's obviously not like an interview style. It's kind of like, 
you know, he's sit he's sitting around a fire with everybody, and he's just talking. Yeah. And everyone's just like listening, and he's just. You should get him on the pod. <laughs> the list of people we should get yeah. on the pod, and the list of people we can get on the pod is uh, is certainly that's why I'm here. Contrarian. Hey, man, you're you're a good get. I'm happy to to have gotten you on, and I uh, appreciate you coming through. Uh, any any last words on Kobe or or AI or anything before we go? I'm good. Nope. Good. So again, uh, make sure you check that out on the Players Tribune. I thought it was a, a really tasteful thing to do, and especially on his birthday, as as we uh, you know we celebrate but still mourn uh, the passing of Kobe and, and the first birthday that'll pass. I'm sure every year this will be a uh, you know a difficult time, but hopefully each year you know maybe some things will come forward that you know shine even further light on uh, the tremendous career. Uh, life that he lived and, and person that he was both on and off the court. So, And every year on this day, we hopefully we see Kelsey wearing a Kobe jersey underneath his practice jersey or wherever he is. That was Bryce Harper. No, no. it was Kelsey. Yeah. Oh, I yeah, saw Kelsey, Kelsey wearing the, the He wore Flyers, Flyers yeah, one Flyers. and he wore a Kobe one. Oh, yeah, I didn't see Kobe. Kelsey. Yeah, he wore his high school jersey. Uh, Harper okay. showed up. I saw Harper to... wearing the Kobe one under yeah. the, the shirt. I, I see I that. I didn't see oh, okay. It, but... Wow. Awesome. All right, cool. Um, yeah, so th- this ran pretty long, but I-, I think there's a lot, a lot of really good stuff here. Again, thanks to Rob for joining us from Last Out Media. You can find him on Twitter at ManoffRM. Of course, I'm joined by Steve as usual, and I'm Dan. We're signing off for Process Potables. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and trust the podcast. Mm-hmm.